Welcome to the podcast, Life is a Story We Tell Ourselves. I'm Anna Murphy. My father, Don Murphy, and I will be bringing stories to your family each week. We want to share stories with you that encourage us all to find the extraordinary in the ordinary through reminiscing and storytelling, because life is a story we tell ourselves. In our first story this week, my dad talks about how reading a biography of Vincent Van Gogh revealed Vincent's unrequited love for one of his cousins and made my dad recall a painful memory of the love he had for one of his cousins. Let's listen together. One day during lunch with friends, the discussion turned to Vincent Van Gogh. My friends know I am not a fan of his paintings, but I am very interested in his life. And because of that, I read an exhaustive biography of Vincent. One of the episodes in his life that came up during our discussion was his love for one of his cousins, whom he was determined to marry. She summarily rejected him. We laughed and made jokes about cultures that intermarry. But later, upon reflection, a memory convicted me, and suddenly it wasn't so funny. I remembered how deeply in love I had been with one of my cousins. She was uncommonly beautiful with yellow skin, light brown, almost blonde hair, and a smile that always made me happy. She was the niece of my father and daughter of my favorite aunt, who on two separate occasions had saved my life. Once when I swallowed a huge ice cube and was choking to death until she lifted me over her arm and swatted me hard in the back, sending the ice cube flying across the room. And... Again, when I stuck a hairpin in the electrical socket and was nearly electrocuted until she, with great force, knocked me free of sudden death. She was very doting of my beautiful cousin, putting her in tap dance classes, local kitty beauty pageants, and dressing her up like a doll far more fetching than Barbie. But the event that brought my secret love for my cousin to light was a Tom Thumb wedding. I know, most of you are asking what in God's name is a Tom Thumb wedding. Tom Thumb was a little person celebrity. Charles Sherwood Stratton, better known by his stage name General Tom Thumb, was a dwarf who achieved great fame as a performer under circus pioneer P.T. Barnum. And after his very high-profile wedding, many people replicated the event by having their children participate in mock weddings. Some were extremely elaborate. Kids as young as five and six years old participated in these mock weddings. Well, my aunt, not to miss an opportunity to showcase her daughter, arranged a Tom Thumb wedding for my cousin with a young boy from her church. I was devastated. My father took me to the event, and as the preacher stood in front of the tiny couple, I was overcome by feelings I was too young to understand. I was only seven years old. When, she, when he kissed her at the end of the ceremony, I nearly lost my mind. I began to cry out loud as if I had lost the greatest treasure in life. I could not stop. My aunt, aware of my distress, smiled broadly and forced back laughter as she smothered me in a comforting embrace. She understood. I was in love with my cousin. It was all right, she said. It's just pretend. As I would later learn on many occasions, in life there is always the rest of the story, and my love for my cousin was no different. 
Some years later, I found out that my cousin was a war baby and was adopted, and my father's brother, a military veteran, had arranged for her to be brought to the United States from Hungary and worked to have her adopted by his sister. There were many war babies after World War II who had to be placed, and my aunt had tried unsuccessfully for years to conceive but could not. The adoption was a great blessing for the family. Through a turn of events far too complicated to chronicle here, I was the one to tell my cousin she was adopted for before my aunt and uncle had told her. As you can imagine, it was one of those family fiascos that after the initial shock of it all led to great relief on the part of everyone. As teenagers, my cousin and I drifted apart, but later as adults became fast friends. She married and her husband became one of my best friends and supporters. Somehow he knew of some of my personal hardships and had a comforting word whenever I saw him. He and my cousin pastor a church now in rural Oregon. After reading about Vincent Van Gogh's love for his cousin and remembering my love for my own cousin, I have a deeper understanding of how powerful innocent childhood love, unfettered by hormones, can be. Vincent never got over his love for his cousin, nor the pain of her rejection of him, and it is recorded in the brushstrokes of the paintings from during that period. Artists often have their stories told through the lens of history and what they eventually became. The context for how they lived their lives at the time they were creating art can often be lost or rewritten. It's refreshing to hear about an iconic artist from a more human perspective. Up next, my father revisits when he was young and two family members came from Louisiana to stay with his family in Southern California. Many of you who grew up reading as I did are familiar with the name Boo, as in Boo Radley from To Kill a Mockingbird. It is a common Southern nickname and often associated with men of questionable character or men possessing some unique and mysterious power. My Boo entered the lives of my brothers and me when our parents helped Boo and his girlfriend, Baby, migrate from Louisiana to California. Boo and Baby were every bit as weird as their names would suggest. Boo had lived in the piney woods of north-central Louisiana. He was big, with charcoal black skin, and a large round face with scary hands, and a voice soft, deep, and somewhat soothing. His voice was good compensation for his otherwise menacing features. He was gentle for the most part, which is why my parents liked him. But I was not pleased when my parents decided Boo and Baby would be our babysitters. Baby was almost as big as Boo with the same ebony skin, round face, and round body to match. She was my first contact with the smoker. The first time she babysat for us, my eyes burned to tears, but I was fascinated by this habit and revolted, as Baby had the nasty and never-before-seen-by-me habit of eating the ashes from her cigarettes. I stood as close to her as I dared one evening, peering up at her jolly face as she deftly held the cigarette between her fingers as, long, as a long ash hung from the white paper. She held the ash up to her lips, and sucked it in as if sipping from a cup of coffee. Prompted by an insatiable curiosity, I asked, 
Why are you eating the ashes? Her baffling reply, It helps me relieve my cold, she said with a smile while coughing. My brain was incapable of processing such an answer. No amount of five-year-old gullibility would allow me to entertain such an answer as the truth. I simply said, hmm, as I went on to the back porch to escape the acrid smoke. Boo, on the other hand, was a storyteller. He told dark tales of piney woods and the sawmills where men had their arms and legs cut off if they got tangled up in the chain that pulled logs into the huge saws. He told me once, your daddy worked at the sawmill. He was smart. He didn't work the saws. Smart Negroes got to tell us what to do and supervise. Yeah, your daddy, he was real smart. He got away from them saws when he went to work in that prison in Angola as the chaplain. We all thought he was crazy to go to that hell hole. Don't you tell him I said that, boy. I ain't going back to Louisiana. No, not me. But Boo should have been more concerned about his poor work habits and drunkenness. We lived on a property in East Los Angeles with two houses on the lot, which my brother and I inherited from our rich aunt. My parents let Boo and Baby stay in the house in the back. The two-bedroom house had a large kitchen, living room, and one bathroom. I overheard Baby say one day, I'm living in a mansion now. There was a small front porch and a big couch in the living room that was too small to contain Boo's big body, but it was where he spent most of his time sleeping off a drunk. We were all in the larger front house when we smelled the smoke. My mother ran outside into the house where she found Boo still on the couch with a smoldering cigarette between his legs. I followed closely behind her. Fire had reached his legs, and I saw him jump up and run past us out of the house. The firemen arrived and put out the fire, which had not spread beyond the couch. Livid, my parents put Boo and Baby on the next bus back to Louisiana. I felt a little sorry for Boo. I missed his piney wood tails. And Boo gone now, I felt safe to ask my father about one of Boo's stories. Daddy, what's the Angola hellhole? My father got a weird grin on his face. Boy, where did you hear that? Boo said you went to work in that hellhole in Angola. My father sighed deeply and stared into space. He never answered my question. But years later I read his book, I Was a Prison Chaplain. It was never published despite great effort including soliciting the help of former President Ronald Reagan, who at the time was president of the Screen Actors Guild. I am almost 70 years old now, and I am still haunted by the stories my father told of being a chaplain at the Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola. What a lovely story of you learning something new about your father. The history of storytelling in our family is one with a long history of its own, and it's longer than I was even aware of. It's such a pleasure to be a part of the continuing tradition of sharing stories. Join us for a special episode in honor of Children's Day being released on Thursday, May 28th. 
Children's Day will be celebrated in over 50 countries on June 1st. Now, some of you may be thinking, isn't International Children's Day in November? And you'd be right. There are two days that celebrate the world's children. In 1925, International Children's Day was first proclaimed in Geneva during the World Conference on Child Welfare. Since then, it's been celebrated on June 1st in most countries. Children's Day is celebrated by the UN on November 20th. We've chosen to honor our children on both days, starting with this podcast. I share one of those stories I wrote for my kids and grandkids about a girl and her puppy. It's titled, From our family to yours, stay safe, share happiness, and remember, the important thing is not to stop questioning. Curiosity has its own reason for existing.